0: hello everybody welcome once again as we continue on in the study that we're doing on the new testament we're in the book of john now and in today's time we're going to look at john chapter five. First first four chapters of john have been pretty eventful um we've met some key uh people in the story and we've watched their interaction with jesus and and the way that jesus treated them and the way they responded to him we've we've seen john the baptist and and how he responded to Jesus with, he must increase, I must decrease. We saw Nathaniel, who at the first sight of uh, uh, Jesus displaying himself as the Messiah, he was able to receive him and and to follow him. We watched a much different encounter with Nicodemus, who while coming as a representative of the Pharisees, saying that we know you must have been coming, you must have come from God, and yet unable to sort of commit or honor or accept him as the savior that they were waiting for and, um, we're not sure how nicodemus turned out as we said we we see him show up again at the end of the book the end of john helping um, joseph of arimathea with the body of christ and so we're not sure what took place in the encounter but we saw the the hesitancy and we'll see again displayed by the pharisees ultimately a refusal to follow christ and, and whether nicodemus was of that group we don't know and then we saw last week an encounter with the woman at the well, and um, we, we talked about how uh, in, in both the encounter with Nicodemus and with the woman at the well, that Jesus sort of stresses the fact that, that the gift that he has to offer is salvation, and yet he comes at it from two completely different angles, one in dealing with someone who was supposed to be very religious and one who obviously knew their sin, and his approach was much different in the way he presented the message. And, and that this is significant, but the bottom line is that Jesus wants everyone to be saved, and that's why he's come. And he wants everyone in relationship uh, with him throughout eternity, and that that's the sort of central theme in the heart of uh, what we've been looking at in the book of John. Now, at the end of chapter 4, there was a, a miracle that uh, took place that I didn't really dig into uh, too much, but it was a, a royal official's son was sick, and he had come to Jesus, and um, Jesus healed him, and, and that's sort of how chapter four ends, and chapter five begins with another a miracle that, that we're going to talk about today, and we'll talk about both of them, in fact, and what they mean, and why they're there, and how John weaves us through this story to continue to make his points about who Jesus is and what it looks like, so I want to um, read John chapter five to you. It's 47 verses, and I'm going to read it. You can read along in your Bibles, you can read along in your notes, or you can just listen to me read it, however you want to do it. But uh, let me get a drink of water. And let me put on my glasses. I'm good for about ten verses without the glasses. And then after that, they all start the words. Does this happen to anybody else? And they all get blurry, and and it's like, then I'm starting to guess. (laughs) And I could probably get it close, but it is the Bible, and it's probably better that I get it right it's one of those things we're close you know John chapter 5 verse 1 and following sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Beth- Bethsaida Bethesda pardon me and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind the lame the paralyzed And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, to your amazement, He will show Him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, he is crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and is now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified himself concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes only from God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Blessed be the word of the Lord. Now, fascinating um, passage of Scripture, and there's a lot that's going on in there. and and some things that I I, I want to make sure that we cover just in a a few moments together in this process. Um, John, as he writes, puts these miracles, the one at the end of chapter 4 and the one in the beginning of chapter 5 there, for a reason to um, demonstrate that, that Jesus is able to back up his claim that he is able to bring and restore life. Because that's what we saw him talking about to Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. He's told them that he has the gift of life, eternal life. And then he demonstrates it in a very real way. These miraculous healings take place um, that, that demonstrate the power of God in the process. And, uh, and so we, we have the son of a royal official who's healed in the end of four, chapter 4. And in the beginning of chapter 5, we, we have the invalid of 38 years who's healed um, as, as Jesus uh, ministers to him. And on the one hand, these sort of absolutely demonstrate that he is indeed who he said he is and he's able to do what he said he does. At the same time, they begin to stir up quite a bit of controversy and conflict. And the, the conflict that's stirred up, in fact, is because this healing by the pool takes place on the Sabbath. And the... Um, John, instead of calling them Pharisees, he calls them Jews, but he's talking about the religious leaders uh, of the day, the Pharisees, in fact, that were there. And I think it's fascinating when I read the story. A lot of fascinating stuff in that passage to me. But one of the things that fascinates most is that the religious leaders, the representative, the people who are supposed to be representing God, see this man who's been an invalid for 38 years, and he's walking with his mat. And you got to know he's probably like skipping, bouncing, happy, walking. He's just been healed. 38 years. He's got his mat cuz Jesus said pick up that mat that you've been hanging out to for 38 years and and go. And he's walking and the religious leaders don't rejoice in his healing. They don't go how amazing is that? What do they do? Hey, it's the Sabbath. You can't carry that mat around. Isn't that crazy? Who, why are you carrying that mat around? Well, he, well, this guy healed me, and he told me to. And pretty much, I think if somebody had come in and healed you 38 days, you wouldn't care what the Sabbath rule was. You'd do whatever he said, wouldn't you, pretty much. Okay, I'll go wherever you want. And and when they find out it's Jesus, it actually stirs up in them a murderous rage. They want to kill him. And you, you think about it, how they, they don't, they're not questioning the fact that this guy was healed. They're, they're questioning. What they don't like is that he did it on a set. you see, they're so set in their way, they're so set in their rules, they can't see past them to see God. And they completely miss God at work. And, and, and this is sort of the, the, the thing that's happening here in this story. They, they go to Jesus then and they accuse him, when they find out of this, that they accuse him of being a lawbreaker and it's you know it's a fascinating process the really the entire healing there in chapter five i think is a is a, is amazing there's this 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 pool at Bethesda obviously has some some people have had some good happen there because apparently the story was when the waters were stirred, if you could get into the water quick enough, there was some healing for you. but this poor guy's been there thirty eight years so he's never been the first one in. I guess it was only good for the first one in and, and uh and so he'd been waiting. But, and I love the question that Jesus asked. This is a good question, really. Do you want to get well? Isn't that a good question? Because not, not all... You know, sometimes we get pretty settled in not being well. And we sort of at one level think, well, that would be great. But at another level, we don't really want to change our lives that much. Because understand that the ramifications of whatever happened to this guy, I mean, now he's got... Things are going to change now. He's got to get a job. <laughs> he's had 38 years of hanging out at the pool. <laughs> Um, there's, it's a loaded deal, but, but when, he, when Jesus asked him, his response is, you know, I, I've been here, I've been, yeah, I'm here because I want to get well. I can't get there. And so, so Jesus touches him and heals him. And, and I, I just think it's a, it's a fascinating process. Now, I, I don't want to skip over this verse in 14 too, but I think it's important because later on, because he doesn't know who healed him. He doesn't know who Jesus is. And he, he goes back and, and. Jesus finds this guy again at the temple. And, and uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Jesus that found him. And he says something that's pretty interesting. He says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, a lot of people have done a lot of stuff with that verse. And some people want to say, well, you know, uh, it was because of his sin that he was an invalid all those years. And uh, don't, that's a, see, in a generic sense, all sickness it's tied to sin because of brokenness but in an individual case we don't it doesn't because you have a, a an issue in your life doesn't mean that there's some compounding sin right there and some people make that connection all the time oh you got that wrong with you there must be some you must be really some horrible sin in your life and, and that's that's not a fair jump um the, the generic sense is because sin has entered the world ultimately all sickness is a result of sin because the world's broken now as a result of sin all right but but um, I think what the point is, and what Jesus wanted to emphatically say, is: Listen, um, you're physically healed now, but don't don't think that that's where it ends. You, you need the rest of the deal because eternal life is found in Me, and and you're going to find that as you give your life to Me. Don't. He's sort of making the point that that wasn't the end all. I think that's why he got back to him again: um, Stop sinning, and and um, uh, or something worse may happen. Don't lose sight of the underlying reason of why I did this, which is to demonstrate that, that God loves you and that I came to make sure that you knew that and that in me you'll have life. I, I think that's the underlying message of the whole process. But because he did this on a Sabbath, which when you think about it, now for us, we look at that and we think, well, you know, that seems like the best day you should be doing those things, right? It should be happening on those days. But they, nothing took place on the Sabbath. And anything that was done that was not part of the rules was considered work, and so they considered Jesus a lawbreaker. Now, now comes this this discussion that he has that I, I think is fascinating. There's and there's a few points in some of these following verses that that I want to make. Now, um, uh, in, in, so so they came to him in verse 16 and and they accused him of being a lawbreaker, and his response is is great. So. Let me read it again, 16:18. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So that's what was pushing him over the edge. You need to know that it was more than what jesus was doing it was what he was saying and throughout the scriptures he's saying in effect i am him he says it a lot i am before abraham was i am he's he's makes references to his deity over and over and over again in the scripture it's not veiled it's right there but this this just put the pharisees over the top because he was making his claim and and they, they could do it even though see now understand what there's what their difficulty was is not only is he saying it he's backing it up so so they can't just jump on it right away because the people just see they're seeing what's happening that's why it takes them as long as it does to get the people turned against him because they can they it's evident that something has happened nothing like this has ever happened before and here's this 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 man, as they perceive it, who's come, who's telling them that God loves them and wants a relationship with them, and He's the way. And then, and then He He ministers to them, and they're they're made well. And and it's this huge sort of process that's going on. And and so um, this confrontation happens where they come accuse Him of a lawbreaker, and He says, "I'm just doing what I see the Father doing." And He begins to talk about how He and the Father are one, and then He's about the business of His Father, and he, and He ties into it how. The business of his father is to let people know that he loves them and, and he speaks, begin to speak about the grace of God. Remember, it's, 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 if we don't have grace, we end up with those religious works, which is all the Pharisees had. And when we have that, we lose the love of God altogether. You can't find the love of God in that mess. You don't even believe that there's, there's love. It's just you follow the rules. And this was the encounter then that takes place. So uh, in verses 19 to 21... Um, what we see there is um, that that the the son can do nothing by himself, and everything that he's doing is because the father's having him do it. And, and so the miracles that we talked about point to God's desire to bring life. See, that's why they're there in the beginning. Um, it, it sets up right away for us the fact that it's God's desire to bring life, and and to bring life to the dead. Now you 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 need to take that at its 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 deepest meaning is that all of us. Jesus had just told us that we all need to be spiritually born, right, in John 3? So if we need to be spiritually born, what does that mean that we are currently? We're spiritually unborn or spiritually dead. And so this life that's coming is to, to spiritually dead people, which is all of us apart from Christ. Before you know Christ, you're, 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 you're not spiritually alive. It happens in Christ. That's what Jesus tells us in John 3. And so um, he's, he's beginning this whole talk now with these, with these people that have accused him, uh, to demonstrate that he is, in fact, uh, one with God. John 5, and 24, um, he, he begins to talk about the fact that since they are indeed one, that Jesus has authority to judge. And, and that is a further expression of his claim on deity. Um, because, get this, only God who gave the law can be above it. No one else is fit to judge. And so when Jesus says, "But I have authority, because God has given it to me," again, it's a it's a claim on His deity and who He is. And in those verses, it says that because of that, Jesus is to be honored as God. In the process, now get that the Pharisees are boiling the whole time that this is happening, and there's not much they can do because he's, he's there's these people walking around that He's touched and healed, ministered to, and, and so it continues on. John five twenty three says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Those are very strong claims of the deity of Christ. We're going to talk about that this weekend in my Christmas message. But, see, there's a lot of people that would like to leave Jesus just as a good guy. He was a great man. He was a great teacher. He was a good rabbi, a great philosopher. But the problem you have with that thought process is that Jesus never said any of those things. What Jesus claimed to be was God. And and if he's not God, then he can be not a great man or a great philosopher or a great prophet because he would be a, lo- a liar or, worse, he'd be a, a lunatic. If he's not who he said he was, he's... And yet, Jesus split history for us. I mean, we, we, we even... Our concept of time is divided by the entrance of Christ. And now they've tried to change that and made it politically correct and they've changed the initials from B.C. and A.D. to... BCE and ADE or AE—I don't, don't even know what it is anymore—but um, because, it, but in effect, everybody really knows what what split in history. It's the entrance of Jesus into the world—pretty big deal when you can split history. Don't you think? <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty good. They haven't done it for nobody else. <laughs> so. Here's the paradox, too, about this whole judgment thing. I like this. Um, the religious leaders have judged Jesus for claiming to be equal with God, and yet, as they set themselves up as judges, judging Jesus, they, in effect, are claiming that they're equal with God in their ability to do that. So, that's we have expressions for that. What is it? The pot calling the kettle black? <laughs> Isn't this what it is? Something like that. Do you get the, when you see this stuff, if you really look at it, you kind of shake your head. And yet, I got it to, all the time. We got to be careful because we become pharisaical, pharisaical really quick without realizing. It just, it'll jump you and get you before you even think about it. And all of a sudden, you become just like that. You start making these quick judgments. You're, you're not thinking about how God would handle it or how God would look into it or what God would do. And we get all, and that's exactly what happened to the Pharisees. We cannot just write them off as being completely out of touch because they, they started well. I, you know, I've told you, the Pharisees started well. They, they started out to protect Judaism from the influences of the culture. It, it had good intent. But because there was no love, because it was all law and rule, they lost They lost God. And, and Jesus comes in an effort, really, to reach out to them. Do you, that's who he went to. Hey, guys, you just missed it a little. You know, it's good that you've been trying to obey, but you've missed it. And, and this is what's supposed to happen. We don't want that. This is what we do. And, and so we're not going to listen in the process. In verses 25 through 29, um, what we find out is that the life that Jesus brings is this resurrection life. It's a new life, a spiritual life. And the thing is, it's one that we can begin living now. Um, while we look forward to the resurrection day, this resurrection power of Christ that comes in the Spirit is available to us now. In effect, when you come to Christ, you've begun your eternal life. Um, you keep going now. And you keep going with Him forever. And so we begin to experience a measure of it. Now, again, it's not in its fullness yet. And we've had this discussion. We, we're, we're, getting it, we're getting it in part. It, it comes fully when Christ comes back. But because He's come... He set it all in motion. He's, he's, it's like, you know, the parables he used about a mustard seed growing big and, and all these things, it's in the process of growing and developing, but it hasn't happened yet. It's, it's all in process. And so, um, uh, so even as we wait for the resurrection, we begin living now with the opportunity of tapping into that resurrection power um i've taught a lot on that you know it's the now and the not yet it's not it's not fully here but it's here in part i always use this whole thing um and and especially it works really good at holiday times um, um the full banquet is coming the full meal is coming but but we get a taste every now and again and and a taste is a very real thing it's not as good as the banquet but it's not bad it's like um I, when i was a kid um, and I've probably, maybe I've told you this before, but my parents used to have, um, they, they entertained at the house quite often, and they would have pretty elaborate food that, that my mother would prepare, and it was only something that happened at these parties, and we never got any as kids. <laughs> and and like, you know, she'd whip us a bowl of macaroni and cheese, and it would be like really unfair because you could smell all this other food. And, and uh, that's my grandson. Um, Hi, buddy. You do it. Uh, So, um, what was I talking about? (laughs) Macaroni and cheese. And, uh... And every once in a while, though, she'd like give us a, sneak us a meatball or something. You know what I mean? And it was good. But, you know, it wasn't the whole deal, but it was good, right? Um, I, I can go on and tell you about my kids. We have these things we call company potatoes that I make. Because and, and, uh, my mom only made them when we had company. And I never tasted one hot until I was an adult. Because I only got them the next day cold. And they were good then. They are really good hot. But nonetheless, um, I've forgiven her and moved along. Probably haven't moved along yet, but I have forgiven her. Um, the deal is, the, the the resurrection power is here, like that. We taste it. We're not fully in it yet because Jesus hasn't come back again. When he does, we get it in full force. But now we get a taste, and the taste is good. So it's good. So so we live in that power now. Um, in in John five thirty through thirty six, we we then again see that that Jesus not only he, he's not only backing up his claims. Um, by demonstrating uh, what he's doing. But, but um, he also he has a testimony of John the Baptist that they knew who was a prophet, and, and certainly that came. He was a recognized prophet. But, but ultimately he's saying, but these things that I've done demonstrate to you that I am in fact have come from God and that he and I are one. And then in the last ten verses there, he's saying, and, and if you need even more than that, further proof of who I am is found in the Scriptures. And what he says to them is, you keep thinking that the scriptures are going to bring you eternal life. But what the scriptures do is point you to me, Jesus says, And in me you find life. See, it's, it's, we get confused there too. Because as, as important as it is to know and love the book of the Lord, it's more important to know and love the Lord of the book. And we've got to make sure we don't get that messed up. Because it's, it's the Lord of the book that brings life. The book points you to the Lord. And in Him you find life. And so these are the things that John, uh, Jesus is saying and that John is recording for us in chapter 5. And uh, I think it's some good stuff. One of my, it's, it, This is a great book. I love John. And, and I hope you're enjoying it as well as you read it. And you sort of can just, again, you know, and especially now that you, those of you who are here and have gone through sort of Matthew and Mark with us, you, you're getting now this picture of what it was like. And what was taking place in this in the three years of Jesus' ministry, and how all these encounters now begin to sort of take on their own shape, and they all begin to reveal to us something a little bit more about Jesus and and who he was and what he was doing and how the love of of Jesus is it amazing? I mean, when you when you read these encounters, do you think to yourself? I mean, I do all the time. I would have never done that. I would have never handled it like that. How amazing is Jesus? How he, how he just ministers to people, and and it, it just it just. Jesus is able to love people perfectly, and we're not there. Um, and so we, we get maybe chunks of it, pieces of it, but he loved people perfectly. And, and what, a, what an amazing gift that he, he, he demonstrates to us in that process. All right, well, that's enough, that's enough info for one, one sitting, okay? And so um, if you have your prayer, press, uh, prayer request, you can pass them up to me. Um, if you are watching by video, thanks for watching. If you have any uh, needs or or, uh, requests, you can email them to us or write us, and we'll take care of you there. If you're up in Williston, God bless you guys up there. And um, the folks up there, Scott and Pam, Cindy Dave, they'll be happy to pray for you. But we're going to end up here with prayer. So pass me up your prayer requests, and we will call it an evening.